The Red Agenda will be back next week. But in the meantime, we thought we'd give you a taste of a new podcast from The Athletic called The Moment. It's a show with Kelly Cates and Jeff Thomas speaking to footballers who faced moments of adversity in their lives. This episode is with former Liverpool Academy player Sean Hydale, who was set to break through into the first team back in 2008 before a car crash left him in a coma with life-threatening injuries that eventually ended his career. But the story has a happy ending as Sean went on to represent Paralympics GB at the 2016 Games in Rio. Give it a listen. And if you want to hear more stories from the likes of Gary Lineker, Troy Townsend and others, just search for The Moment wherever you get your podcasts. The Athletic. Can you remember the one moment that changed your life forever? The moment that put everything in perspective. I'm Kelly Cates. And I'm Jeff Thomas. And in this series, we're sharing the stories of sports people who've experienced and overcome moments of adversity. This is The Moment. In 2003, after a 20-year career in football, playing for the likes of Crystal Palace, Wolves, and England, I was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia. I was given just three months to live, but after two years of treatment and a stem cell transplant, I overcame the disease. Our guests will share how their lives have been shaped by times of adversity and how those experiences have made them the people they are today. I wanted to speak to fellow sports people to find out how, like me, they overcame these moments. In this episode, we got told, you know, after this season, he's going up to Melwood full time and stuff. So it's gone from that being the happiest, you know, person alive to obviously the next day being at the lowest point of life. So it was, it was a bit of a mad one. But um, yeah, so it was two years it was till I could even get back in with the lads and that. So it was a long road, but you know, it was just one of those that I was just focused on doing. Sean Hydale was destined to be a star for both club and country as he rose through the ranks at Liverpool and also represented England at under-16 level. But it was cut short in 2008, when a devastating car crash left Sean with life-changing injuries, saw two of his friends killed and left another in a coma. Sean overcame all the odds to play football again after two years of intensive rehabilitation, but he could never fulfil the potential he'd shown in his early career and ultimately decided to give up playing in 2011. But his story doesn't end there, with an unexpected call from Paralympics GB and a whole new outlook on life to follow. Sean, just start by by telling me a bit about you as a as a young player, as a, as a kid who, you know, started out thinking that you might have a chance. When was the first time you realised? Yeah, well, from a young age, obviously a mad Liverpool fan. It's come right through the family. My dad's, you know, mad Liverpool fan, gone a game all his life as well, watching your dad as well. He's his hero. So, um, yeah, so I've always wanted to be Liverpool. Um, got picked up by the age of eight uh, and then obviously couldn't physically sign until nine and then was there all the way through. I think there's only me and some other lad who basically stayed right through and got professional contracts. I'd probably say it's probably the age around 14, 15. That's when I kind of felt like, you know, because I remember when I was like, when we first went into 11 aside football, we had 12 players and I was the only sub. So obviously back then you're thinking, well, this isn't good. But what I done was I progressed every year. I got better. 
where some players were unbelievable at 12, 13, but then kind of didn't progress, where I kind of just got better and better each year. So, yeah, I'd say by the age of like 15, uh, I got my first call-up for England. Uh, so, obviously, to get a call-up for England was obviously a team come through as well. Yeah, and then just... My dad was my biggest critic, but also he, he was the biggest one to have me forward. So every pre-season, he'd have me like on the field, you know, grafting up and down fields by mine. Other good players at my age group, when I'd be running and be feeling a bit tired, he'd be saying like, think about when you're playing like Kyle or he play for Wolves, he's my like a little bit of a rival. Yeah. Just little things like that to keep me going, you know. So, and then obviously it stood me in good stead uh, going forward. It was in the England 15 at your time? Under 16s it was. So my 16th. first... Yeah, it was Kenny Swain was the manager. So my first call up, the way it worked was because I was a young, a young um, like school year in my age. I could then play down kind of thing. So yeah, so in my team it was like Jack Rodwell, uh, Jack Wilshire, uh, Jose Baxter, players like that. Uh, and then my first tournament was the Victory Shield, uh, which we won, which obviously was great at the time. But looking back now, which I'm sure we'll probably get to, was there's videos. Obviously, my mates who passed away in the accidents and stuff, they're all on there jumping on me and stuff. So. Although it was great at the time, it's even better now to, you know, look back and look at the memories and stuff like that. What kind of player were you? It's mad because when I was a bit younger, I was kind of like, you know, didn't want to get into a tackle, didn't want to get hit. Sometimes I get subbed because I was too cold, like when I was like 10, 11. <laughs> I used to play like a little number 10, like behind the forwards. Um, and then it was mad because, as I say, when I got older, there was a point in a game against Man City, you know, obviously rivals, Manchester team, and the game was a little bit physical in that. And, it, and, I, and I, there was a 50-50 for me to take, and I don't know what came through me, but I've just gone right right through some lad. Um, and all obviously the, the, the crowd are like made up and stuff, and then I just got a bug. So I went from like a number 10 type of behind the forward to kind of like a number six. You just love getting around the field, getting people in tackles. That's kind of what, what kind of play I ended up being, uh, like a little number six, box to box. Pretty physical as well. Goal scorer? No, not very. Not not much, Jeff. Not much, Jeff. No, didn't really score many goals, no. But yeah, I just felt more comfortable just kind of sitting like a Makaleli type of role, uh, starting to play, getting it off the off the centre-halves, left-back, right-back, and then just playing little one-twos with the, you know, the other centre-middle, going, bypassing him, going straight to the forward. That's when I felt more comfortable doing that, really. But yeah, love getting on the ball and, you know, creating things and that. That academy you'd seen had, had brought through some really talented local young players at, at the time. What were they saying to you? What were they talking to you about what, what you could achieve? Um, well, obviously, probably know yourself. They don't like to give much away, you know. They like to, don't want no one to get big head and stuff. But you kind of knew by little things they do, like, i.e., like, they'd put you on, like, they give you, like, passes to go, you know, behind in an outfield and meet the players. They'd only really do that with a selected few. And I was, there's only me and a couple of lads who always used to, to do that um, and then yeah I had a great relationship with Dave Shannon with Huey McCauley so you just kind of know from like the kind of relationship you have with them that you know that they, they, they rate you highly and stuff but yeah you know what it's usually as, as it is the, the more they rate you the harder they are on you as well so you know you should not give me a hard time but you'd always expect the highest of level from me and stuff which obviously I'm not daft I know that's because that's how high they rated me so April 2008 then, just turned 17, and you and a couple of your mates, as, as you've said, decided to go to the cinema. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it was a mad one, you know, Kelly, because lucky enough for me, I just signed professional on my 17th birthday, which was on, in March the 4th. Yeah, and then my dad never really used to let me go out. I was very, like, you know, you know, I, you know, sacrificed a lot, didn't really go with my mates, didn't really drink much stuff, like, well, didn't drink at all, and... And then, yeah, just one, 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 uh, Sunday. I don't know what, what came over me or whatever, but I fancy going to, going to pictures with my mates. And, um, 
Yeah, I'm a massive believer in like every man for a reason, you know. So the trains were on strike, then we weren't going to go. And then the other mate who, who died in the accident, he was just past this test, the only one out of all of us who could drive. She was like, come on, I'll take this kind of thing. So, yeah, and then from that moment of getting in that car to waking up in hospital is a total blackout to me. You go out with your mates, you're going out to the cinema, and the next thing that you said, everything's a blackout. What's the next thing you remember? Just waking up in hospital, yeah. Obviously, like, as soon as you're starting to come round, because I was in a coma for a few days, so obviously, as soon as you start coming round, you've got the nurses in your ear and stuff telling you what had happened. You know, you've been in an accident and blah, blah, blah. Um, just come round, yeah. It's just it's crazy. It's just a big blur, which... Right now, like now, looking back, it's probably the best thing that could have happened to me because it's only my girlfriend said to me yesterday, it's mad how, like, you're so comfortable driving, even though what you went through. And I think that's a massive part of not being able to remember because I'm guessing if I, if I could remember what happened and stuff, because by the sounds, my dad was one of the first to the scene and that he said it was pretty brutal. So if I could remember, I might be a different type of person than what I am now. So, you know, I'm thankful that I can't. Uh, we've done a number of these with different people and this uh, series is all about the moment. When was your moment when you realised football probably was going to be tough coming forward with all the, the injuries that we've not catalogued them yet? But what was it like knowing that was probably at the end? As soon as I, well, as soon as I was in the hospital and stuff and people could come in to see me, like I didn't know me mates... I didn't know, you know, the fatality of what actually happened until weeks after. Like, I didn't know. I didn't, not that I didn't care, but I just, I was too focused on, right, when am I getting back fit and when can I get back to footy? And I didn't understand the, the you know, the, the extent of my injuries either. Obviously, I hadn't really had much of a scan on my knee or not. And then, so I was just that focused on getting back fit. Like, nothing really mattered. Uh, as I said, got back to, well, meet me. Physio at the time. Well, the doctor come in and just said, we need to get him off this ward, get him in a private suite, stuff like that. And then me, me physio came in and my neck was in bits and the, the, the nurses and stuff were just saying, yeah, you know, it's whiplash, you've been through a bad accident. So when my physio came, came in, he messed with it. He was like, no, something's not right. So he took me for a scan on my neck and I broke it, two bones in my neck. So it was little things like that were just kind of adding on to what. Um, and then, yeah, it was just a long road, got back. Obviously, my knee was knackered. When I seen, a, you know, the best specialist and stuff, reconstructed it perfectly, took hamstrings from my left leg to graft on my right knee. It's just crazy what, what you can do. And then, uh, yeah, and then it was just a long road back. Doing a first hurdle would be like, you know, try and do a little bit of bike. Okay, you've done that. Let's try and do a little bit of running on a machine. And every kind of hurdle the physio was putting in front of me, I was overcoming. And then before I knew it, I was back playing with, with the lads, first of all, obviously, no contact on Sean. Let him just uh, be a floater type of player. And then, yeah, and then just stepped it up, stepped it up. And then um, I remember Dave Galley was actually the physio then. And Frankie McParlin took me and Dave Galley into the physio. And at this moment, I, I'm, I'm feeling good, you know. It's, I'm back, I'm feeling strong. I've been into a few tackles, I've had a few little games and stuff. And Frankie just basically said to Dave, like, what do you think on Sean? So at that time, as I say, I felt great. And Dave Galley just kind of said, like, his knees to... It's the, the amount of, you know, operations and trauma his knees gone through. It's not going to be able to, you know, basically last with this pace. So obviously to hear that, I was like, I'm fine, no? And he was like, no, Sean, honest, in five, ten years' time, your knee's going to be, you know, knackered. If you if you keep play, trying to play at this standard, you know, you won't have a kind of a future, like, in general. So that was tough to hear. So yeah, that was the moment when obviously Frankie just said, look, Liverpool's not for you, but we'll give you the best. We'll extend your contract for another year, so financially you, you're fine. And then we'll, we'll, you know, we'll look for a club to send you on loan and stuff. So it helped me massively, Liverpool. But yeah, that was the moment when I kind of thought, like, you know, 
professional football might not be for me, you know what I mean? Sean, you, you talked about your neck and you talked about your knee. That wasn't the extent of it. Like, as you said, you were in a coma for, for five days. How badly were you injured? Yeah, uh, do you know what? Like, obviously, if I t- to me, it's, it's mad. To me, it's normal, you know? Like, I just, it is what it is, that kind of thing. Uh, but if I explain to people, like, they go, wow. So, like, because I've been through the wars, you know? So, like... Because even before all that killed, when I was 14, like I went in for a tackle and, I, and my knee got stuck on the ground and I, and I broke my back as well. So I was out for a year with my back and then obviously I come back at the age of 15 and then that happened at 17. So yeah, the pretty, pretty tough ride. But the injuries, yeah, but just my knee. I, I snapped my ACL, PCL, LCL, all in my knee, which when I went and seen, uh, what's his name, the guy from, from Chelsea where all, everyone goes, he said to me, like, this is the worst injury I've ever seen. Like, you'll never be able to play football again. So I'm just going to get you back so you can kind of live your normal life, you know. So we've done that, broke my ankle. As I say, broke my neck. I'd have had, had to get a kidney took out. So yeah, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty bad, like. But you're, the way you're describing them is the way that we hear footballers all the time talk about their injuries. There's, there's that kind of mentality of, look, this is what happens. Sean, you were really, really badly injured in a really serious car accident. Do you feel that you've, I don't know, dealt with that? Yeah, I feel, to be honest with you, like, without blowing my own trumpet, I felt like I dealt with it very well. You know, like, I never, ever got no, obviously I got offered all the, you know, psychiatrists and people to talk to and stuff, but you know yourself better than anyone else. And I just know that I deal with things my own way. So I never, ever got no help off no one. Obviously, my family was always there for me. But yeah, you know, I feel like sometimes, like now, it's like it affects me a little bit more when I see players who are playing in the Premier League, playing in the Championship. I know I was death than back in the day. Stuff like that kind of affects me a little bit. But when it comes to the accidents and the injuries, as I mentioned earlier, I just feel like heavy and for a reason. And obviously, that wasn't my path to go down. So there's no point, you know, getting yourself beat down about it too much. Got to crack on with life. And you said really quickly you were thinking about how you could possibly get back and play football again. But you weren't just dealing with the physical side of things as well. You'd lost your friends. This, you know, that yeah. we haven't really talked about the other consequences of, of the car accident. Yeah, that's that's obviously that's obviously because one of them, well, two of them, but one of them especially was me, my closest friend. You know, I'd stay in his every Sunday. He played for Samia. So we had that kind of football relationship. We grew up in the same, you know, local team. And yeah, so he was my closest friend and I was close to his family and stuff, which is, it's tough. He's still in a coma now, which is, what? You're talking 12, 13 years ago, we're still in a coma. So it, it's, it is sad. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just try not to think about it as much as, as I can. But obviously sometimes when the birthdays come round and stuff like that, I was, I had to go to the dentist the other week and it was me, me mate Danny who I'm on about. It was his birthday and, so obviously I looked through my phone to look for photos and I, to put on it and I was sitting in the, the little waiting room and I was feeling myself getting a little bit upset, which is not really like me. I'm not really the emotional type of person, but I could feel myself yeah, getting a little bit, you know, teary in the eyes and stuff. Um, but yeah, I just try my hardest not to think about it, try and keep myself as busy as I can and stuff like that. Is is that where football helped at that stage? Yeah, exactly, yeah, because... You know, you hear people saying, I would, you know, I, I listened to Jose Baxter's uh, podcast the other day and he said a similar thing. Like, but then 19 minutes or that hour training that, that you, that you, you know, you're busy, that you're not thinking about things. So yeah, so I just try and keep myself as busy as I can in football. I was, I was constantly busy. I was in every day. I was grafting. I was, you know, I had a massive road ahead that no one thought, including the phys, the physios, as I say, the surgeon, no one thought I'd ever make it to that point. And then obviously it did. So, um, so yeah, all that, all that helped as well. Was that you trying to prove people wrong? You know, because you've got yeah. so many injuries that 
anybody else would have said that's it straight away. But yeah, I'm amazed that you even thought about trying to get back. Yeah, well, that's it. And that's part of the kind of player that I was similar as well, because a guy come in the academy, obviously it all changed around when Steve Iver and all that left. Peter Tambay came in and me and him just didn't get on at all, like for whatever reason it was. And my attitude was like, he didn't rate me as high as say Highway and Shannon. And maybe it was a bit of a, well, he doesn't, he doesn't rate me like that. So my attitude could have been, oh, well, I'm, and you know, have a bit of a spit me, dummy me out. But no, after my attitude was, and my dad was, you know, kind of like, you know, egging me on a little bit, showing wrong. So yeah, so I kind of after Christmas he ended up loving me because yeah, I just wanted to prove him that I am a good player and stuff like that. And I think that came in, you know, handy in me in my life as well. You know, no one's telling me that I, you know, I can't do something. So the more you say I can't do it, you know, I'll prove you wrong, which in hindsight I did, but I didn't because Dave Galley was right. Like if I play football now, I'm in agony the next day and stuff. So what the things what he said, obviously being the tough physio he is, is was spot on really like I would never ever have been able to sustain that level as a professional footballer there's just no way but yeah, I don't think that no one thought I'd be able to do i.e. get back even playing football at all How long was the, the rehab before you could start playing again or even training? Yeah two years yeah wow. I was out for two years so um, obviously it was sad pretty sad because the, the Saturday before the accident on the Sunday Huey McCauley called in three of us which was me Nathan Eccleston and Stephen Irwin and we got told, you know, after the season, he's going up to Melwood full time and stuff. So it's gone from that being the happiest, you know, person alive to obviously the next day being at the lowest point of life. So it was it was a bit of a mad one, but um, yeah. So it was two years. It was till I could even get back in with the lads and that. So it was a long road, but. You know, it was just one of those that I was just focused on doing. It, it, I just find it really interesting the way you talk about how you dealt with it all because I know there's there's a lot of memory loss in there but your attitude is very yeah. much just constantly kind of looking forward to the next thing that that you you want to do is that is that something you had to work on in yourself or is that something that's that's in you yeah no it was just in me from as soon as I come round, it was like when can I get back to footy and obviously people were just like just calm down a bit you know blah 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 but that's all I wanted to do is just get back into the academy and get back playing. Yeah, I think it's just installed in me, to be honest with you. Were you straight back into Liverpool being getting the rehab there or was it the hospital first for six months or so? Yeah, well, I was in hospital for... Um, so when I've come back round, as I say, the doctor put me in my own suite in Fizzafli and then I was in there for about four to six weeks. I always remember because it was like the hottest summer we've ever had and I was just stuck in some room. So... Um, but yeah, no, as soon as I could come out of that, I was straight into straight into Liverpool. But near enough straight away, I went straight up to London to get me, me knee operated on and my ankle operated on and me neck operated on. And then yeah, obviously it was so it was so long then before you just gotta relax and you know, let your body kinda because it I, my operations were like my knee was six hours and then during that operation the fella come in and done my ankle, which was another hour or two. So I was down there for like eight or nine hours. So obviously it's a lot of trauma for your body to go through. So it was kind of like let your body settle and and then we'll get back in and then yeah and then just as soon as I was back in I was just I was just on it then. There's all those sort of promises and expectations in there. The idea that you at one stage you know you, you're going to go to Melwood and and train where the, the senior players train. That you know you you come back you start your rehab you, you've got a goal in sight you get back you feel fine and then it's look, your knee isn't going to be able to to stand up to this. Yeah. Every time when when that setback happened, did it? make you more or, or less determined to achieve what, what you could? Well, obviously, when I went from Liverpool, I went to Oldham on, on like a season-long 
long loan and I just didn't like it to be fair like it was just full of people from Manchester and obviously <laughs> didn't really have the same kind of personality and I felt like a little bit of a, an outsider there so um, yeah so then I went from there and it's, I just kept like dropping lower and lower and lower and then at that moment I was still no I'm still going to play I'm still going to play and then it comes to a point where like obviously no disrespect to Waffington Stanley but I went there and I forgot to take me, me kit with me because I know a few lads who was there, Ray Putz or Charlie Barnett, there was people who I knew from Liverpool who was there. So I went there and I forgot to take any kit with me. Well, I, I just didn't think I had to. So I turned up and like they were like, right, where's your kit? And I was like, don't we get it? Like, obviously I've had it all my life, set out for me, whatever. And like, no, you, you know, you've got to bring it on. So they end up going out to the Lost and Found section and like he pulled out like a purple top with like yellow shorts <laughs> and a green socks. And I had to train in that on like a school field and... It was just something that I just wasn't used to. And I just thought, you know what, like, I'd rather just play with my mates rather than, like, you know, than this. So, yeah, so then I just dropped down and played semi-professional. I think. When you when you were playing semi-professional, like you said, it was it was something very different. Was was there a point at which you felt that you let go of, of that dream of being a, a top-level professional footballer? Yeah, I think... Um, do you know what as well? Like obviously when I went to I went to like MK Don's on trial and Huddersfield and stuff like that. And when I was at Huddersfield, this was probably a big moment for me as well because I used to play a lot when I was at Liverpool when I was obviously doing well. Danny Drinkwater played for Man United. He's like a year old than me. So me and him used to have, you know, great battles with each other and stuff. And then when I went to Huddersfield, he was there as well. And kind of, he had like a reserve game versus the first team. So obviously I was in the reserve team and he was playing in centre mid with the first team and I just couldn't get anywhere near him. And I just thought, and I was, and obviously I was trying to do things that I used to be able to do, but I couldn't do anymore. And it was just frustrating. And then he was just running rings at me where he never, ever used to kind of thing. And then I just thought, wow, this is like, it was like a rude awakening, like how far I've dropped, you know what I mean? So, yeah. So I think that was the moment where I thought, and then obviously others feel then said like, you know, not for us kind of thing. And then I just thought like, this is not happening. This, so. Do you feel better? I, I'm sure you do for, making the effort to get back. Do you think that's helped you sort of leave football? Because if, if you was told straight away in that hospital bed that no more, that probably would have done you mentally more damage, would it not? Yeah, yeah, no, million percent. Obviously, I can now sit, sit here and say I give it every, I give it a go, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, yeah. if, if, if I didn't ever try, I would never have knew. And to be honest with you, I probably would have been in a worse state than what I'm in now because me getting back playing, obviously you know, keeps your knee and gets your knee mobile and stuff like that. So I probably would have been in a worse place now. But yeah, mentally, I'm pretty proud of myself for giving it everything and leaving no stone unturned type of thing. So Amazing. yeah, there's not enough. There's not enough. There's one little tiny bit of regret I've got was when I was getting back, when I when I went to Oldham on loan, I was, my dad had me on the field again and I was running. I was fit, very fit. But all my mates were going to Zanti and that was my very first lads holiday. So I went for two weeks and come home and the next day I had Oldham so I've gone in first day of the season it was a bleep test and I come last so obviously you're just on a downhill spiral thing from then maybe I think back if should I just swerve going away with my mates and then and I, I was fit at the time and give Oldham my best shot but it is what it is as I say it wasn't meant to be Was it a good two weeks though? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. I think. Yeah, I think it's done for tw- two weeks non-stop. Like, but I, honestly, I don't regret anything. I don't think you can live with regrets. It's one no. of those things, and it's you got to. At the time, obviously, I must have wanted to go. I must have had that that fire still in me, which I used to have. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but 
yeah, I just, I, I went and enjoyed it, yeah. When did you decide to, to look into the Paralympic team? To be honest with you, Kelly, they, they got in touch with me. I knew not on a, not on at all about it. I was in my mum's kitchen and I got an email from Jeff Davis, who's their kind of, you know, main man in organising stuff and that. And I was like, that's normal. Look at this. So basically the email just said, you know, we've read your story. Uh, we read you in a coma. You know, nine times out of 10, when you've been in a coma, you get left with, you know, a little bit of cerebral palsy. So do you mind coming down to St. George's Park and letting us have a look at you? Could be something, could be nothing. So I was like, yeah, no problem. So I've gone down there and um, they were doing like tests with me and it was mad because the tests they were doing with me, like, Obviously, you don't do it day to day. Like, so it'd be like, touch my nose and touch his finger as he moves his finger. And like, I, I was struggling doing it. So I was like, wow, this is mad. This, like, and they were like, that's, that's your brain. That's your cerebral palsy working. So, so they said, there's definitely signs. It was just whether I got, because obviously, I don't know if you know, it's classifications for, for players. So obviously, the best I would have got was, was an eight, but they didn't know whether it would have been an eight or two good. So it's like, look, keep coming. And then when it comes to a tournament, then that's when you get your classification. And that's all. Just kept going, yeah. Kept, you know, enjoyed it. Back playing, feeling back like I was in Liverpool days, turning up, perfect pitches, you know, kit set out again, which I was used to. So it was good to get that kind of feeling back I was used to. Um, yeah, and then it kind of came to a tournament in Portugal where you get your classification and um, and then, yeah, and I ended up getting an eight, which was good. When that letter came through, how did that make you feel? What what, did, what was going through your head? What were you feeling at the time? Great. Like, it was, I don't know, it was like another little, I don't know, it was like another little, another little path for me to go down and experience kind of thing, you know? Like, it was the best I could have. So you're playing in a, for England, you're playing for Great Britain. It's you can't get no bigger in that kind of world, you know. So I was never negative, like, oh, I'm too good for this or anything like that. I was just right, another challenge. Let's go and see what, what I can do. Um, and then to be honest, obviously going down there, you're thinking, I've played at this level, played at that, I'll be able to walk around the end. And I was, you know, I was pleasantly surprised because, you know, one, the standard of the players was were good. You know, some people were born with cerebral pause, so they've learned to live with things where me, I was adapting to you know, how they move and how they play and stuff. And then second was physically, it was tough, you know, like you had to be fit because, you know, the pitches are still pretty big, but it's only like seven aside. So you had to be pretty, you know, it was pretty demanding physically as well. So that was another reason right, for me, where maybe without that, I'd kind of, you know, lie in bed or whatever. I'd had to get up, I'd had to get the gym and get myself fit because I had a camp coming up. So, yeah, it gave me something to strive towards as well, which was good for myself and mentally as well. How, how do you think that the diagnosis affected you? Because it wasn't something you you considered before. Just sort of, it was just it was a, it was a mad thing because back in it was only like when things happen, you think back and think, oh no way, that's that's why. So when I was getting back fit with Liverpool, I'd done a lot of kettlebell work, and um, when I'd like do my right hand, my left hand would come up there like that. So the physio kept saying to me, put your left hand down. I'd be like, oh, sorry, and whatever. Obviously thinking nothing about it. But it was only when I was going to, you know, the camp with the, para, you know, the Paralympic lads and stuff like that, was where you learn more. And when you're tired and you've got cerebral palsy, your hand comes up like that when your brain's tired. So it's mad when you start playing football, you start playing normal. But then when it, the game goes on, some of the lads are running around like that. So obviously then I think, no way, that was... Back then, that's why I was doing that because I didn't know why I was doing it. I just kept bringing it up, and that was part of cerebral palsy. So it's just crazy, yeah. So just again, just adapting to different things and stuff. Just, just what I had to do. Were you still playing non-league football at the same time? Uh, I was. I think when I went to when I went to Paralympics, I was playing um, yeah, just amateur then. So obviously, I went semi-professional, Vauxhall Motors, Bear Scope, teams like that, and then 
And then again, I was playing in Wales, but you're traveling like an hour and a half for like 60 quid a game. And I just thought, like, what's the point? I didn't love the game as much as what I used to anymore and stuff like that. So, yeah, I just thought I'd rather play with my mates. So when they when that came about, yeah, I was just playing uh, amateur, uh, Saturday league with the lads. Um, yeah. So how many years is this since the accident? 2008, I think it was. So I was 17, yeah. So I'm now 30, so 13 years, yeah. So 13 years it's been. And your knees and everything else were feeling good enough, obviously, to keep going. Yeah, at the time. As I say, I had to manage it a lot. But back then, you've got the facilities. So when I'd finished, like, training, they'd put me in an ice bath and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, my knee was... It's it's, far, it's even now. If I want to play five side, it'd be sad. But then the next day, I'd, I'd, it'd be aching. So, yeah, yeah. It's, I think, to be honest with you, I think when I get a bit older, I think I'm going to probably struggle with arthritis and stuff, which yeah. I did get older. But that's why I kind of don't play anymore because I'm I'm trying to, you know, think more long-term when I've got kids or whatever. Like, I don't want to be in that situation where I can't run or have a little kick about with, with them or whatever. So, but um, but yeah, I do, I'm starting to miss it a little bit now. Like. Jeff asked you earlier about, you know, the fact that you tried to get back, that you gave it everything you could after the accident to do all the rehabilitation. You were back in, in training at Liverpool and, and you felt, you, you know, you were saying you felt like you, you gave it everything. Was was that being part of, of Paralympics GB and being part of that team, did that feel in a, in a similar way, like you'd achieved something that it made it a bit easier to leave behind in a way. Yeah, um, as I say, it's something that I'll be able to when I'm older tell my, like my grandkids and stuff that you know I've, the things I've done. Like I think I was the only, I'm, I think I am the only player to play for England. That you know, play for England, normal England and and cerebral palsy England. I don't think there's anyone else who's done that. So there's little things that I can always look back on and say I've done. Like to me, again, like. I just think it is what it is. I don't like, oh, I've played in this or I've played for England. Or I just think that's just what happened. But when you speak to people like, you play in the Cyril Posey? Like, did you play for England? So to other people, it's big. And I always remember what this one time, Jeff Davis, when I was in St. George's Park, Jeff Davis called me aside and said, I want to speak to you, basically. A young lad, disabled lad. He sent this email. His mum's asked me if I could forward it on to you. So basically, this this young um, disabled kid in, in school, they had to write a poem about the most inspirational person in, in the world. And this kid wrote a poem about me. So obviously he must have been a Liverpool fan and he must have seen it on, you know, LFC TV and whatever. And he wrote a poem about me. So his mum his forwarded the poem onto Jeff and said, will you please show Sean this? And like, as I say to me, I'm just, you know, I'm just me doing what I've got to do to kind of daily. Where to, to people like this young lad, like I'm an inspiration to him, you know. So it was massive. It was a massive like, wow can't believe that you know so like it's just yeah it's just it's mad how like you don't think nothing's you're not doing nothing but in the background you could be inspiring like you know hundreds of thousands of, of people who've been in that situation yeah so that was that was a privilege as well to see that i, I read that on your your twitter feed because you, you posted that one and it was it was talking about you know i might not you know i might not have achieved the dreams that i thought i set out to achieve but i've done it in a different way is is that how it yeah. feel did did he sum that up for you? Basically, yeah, in a nutshell, I feel like I've achieved everything that I could have achieved. Like, I didn't get, football got took away from me, basically. Like, I didn't, it's not that I weren't good enough or I didn't try hard enough. Like, it got took away. So, everything that I could have done up until that moment, I'd done, you know, come right through Liverpool, got a scholarship, got a professional contract, was captain of Liverpool, got a call up to England. Everything that I could have done, I'd done, really. And then again, obviously, football, professional football got took away. So, then the next path was 
all right, you got set up a pause, you go and play for England, okay, go and uh, play for Great Britain, get selected and go to the Paralympics. So everything that I feel like I've done, I, I could have done, you know, I managed, I managed to do. So I'm pretty, as I say, I'm uh, pretty proud of myself for that. That's why you're, you are inspirational to, to a, a lot of people out there because it's very easy for what you've been through to go on to the negative side, you know, and, and be really down on yourself. And, and nobody could give you, a, you know, excuse you for doing that as well. It's amazing. Your story is amazing. And I think what you've done is um, fulfilled a dream in a totally different way, like you say. And to be so positive from this is is a fantastic story. Really interesting, Sean. Yeah. No, I appreciate that, Jeff, really. But... Obviously, I'm just a normal person as well. Like, obviously, there's times when I do get the hand, you know, like, and I might be a bit bored. Like, the biggest thing I miss most, more, more than anything, is just, like, being in with the lads, as you know yourself, being in with the lads every day. Yeah. That banter you have with everyone and stuff like that. Like, I don't have that no more, you know? So, that's the most thing I miss. But, yeah, I still have, I still have me off days when I'm, you know, a little bit down and stuff like that. But, yeah, it is what it is. You've got to just keep yourself busy and keep yourself positive, I guess. So what are you doing now then, away from football? Yeah, so obviously, as you probably already know, I was lucky enough, you know, to get a bit of help from, you know, like a, like a kind of payout type of thing. For So with that, I just kind of set up my own. I've got a few businesses at the minute. Like I've got a property development company that I do with my business partners. So a part own like a, a children's day nursery. I've just literally this year now just opened a care, like a residential care company for adults with learning difficulties and things like that. And I'm not at that stage yet, but that could even be a, a, like a, an option for me in the future is to go in and kind of give them a little bit of a, look, this is what happened to me and blah, blah, blah. I, I'm not really thought about that, but that could be an option as well going forward. But So yeah, so after after football, I just, just decided to go into business and try and, um, yeah, as I say, try and uh, keep myself happy and just look after my family and that really as well. Sean, you, you talk about getting a little bit of help. It wasn't wasn't quite like that. It was, it was an insurance payout that you got because they'd taken out insurance against the potential that that you had it was about you and and what you could have achieved and as part of that there were lots of people who'd been involved with you as a well 17 and, and under that came out and spoke on your behalf that talked about your potential who spoke for you at, at the trial I to be honest with you I had a solicitor who was very good I think um she was brilliant in what she done. She, I think she was a bit like casing people a little bit as well. But yeah, no, there was there was plenty. You know, obviously you've got your Jay Spears, Martin Kelly's. She even got to people like Jack Wilshire, who obviously, as I said, mentioned, played with in England. And Stephen Gerrard, Jamie Carragher. Uh, I don't even know if they'd see me play. They'd probably just be, you know, just tell me out. I don't know. But yeah, but they they all they all stood up and said, you know, Sean was this, Sean was going to do that and stuff like that. And um, obviously the coaches, Shannon and Huey McCauley and stuff. And yeah, all that obviously helps. It just, it all goes with your case of what you're trying to say. You were going to be this way. The other side would come back and would say like, oh, but he's too small and whatever. And then you just kind of go back and forth. It was a bit of a mad one, you know? So, you know, as I say, that uh, that helps me massively. I've never really met Stephen Gerrard since then, but I've seen Carragher a few times and like dinners and, you know, he, he, he recognised me and then I said, oh, thanks for everything you did for me. And he's like, not a problem. Like, so, uh, but yeah, no, I'm pretty grateful for that as well. I was watching you smile as you were talking about all the people who, who came out to speak. And I can imagine that was quite a mixed experience for you, the sort of the, the pride and the the happiness that you feel in, in seeing these people that you've worked with and coming out and talking about you and being so positive about it. But it, 
it must have must have been a bit bittersweet as well. Yeah, no, just you know what? I just there's no there's no like jealous bone or anything like that in my in my body at all. Like I just as just as you said, like to hear what people actually thought of you because you don't go around saying, "Oh, I think this is you," and well, you don't do that in life. So to hear what actually like Jay Spear and thought of me, and you know Dave Shannon obviously have done like things for Liverpool TV and. We went to a, like an interview to him, and he was he'd like speak about how highly he rated me as a player. And obviously, all that's just it's nice to hear. Like it makes you feel like I was good enough, or maybe I would. Like I don't think to myself like, oh no, well I would have been good enough, so I'm good now. I think I'm I'm happy with that. Like I would have been good enough, so I can get like I can take something from that, you know? Yeah. So all that there's none of that. Like I'm, I, you know, I'm. I take it in a negative way. I would have been good enough. Why has life done this to me? And that that's not one part of my brain thinks like that. I think the other way, like I'm happy I would have been good enough to at least make a living from the game. That's the way I, I see it. Do you think there's there's going to come a point in your life where you do look back on it in a, in a different way? Like I know you were saying about sometimes watching some of the players who are playing and thinking now it's it's starting to kind of starting to kind of bleed through a little bit your your experiences into into your life now having been in that compartment for the whole time since since the accident do you think do you think that time's gonna gonna come when when you have to I mean look at it in 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 detail and kind of look at how how you were feeling look at those those sort of more difficult parts of it I don't know as I say it's like it's only every now and then like I'm a pretty positive as, as, as I've said a pretty science like, as positive as I can I, I do get down moments especially when I do see players playing really. but it's only like for the odd few minutes and then it's gone like I don't sit and go and lock myself in my bedroom and cry myself to sleep I don't do things like that I just have a little you know a little bit of a stuff like that um, I hope not I really hope not because I'm, I'm happy you know like I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Like I, I just hope that I'm successful. I've took, you know, plenty of risks in the business that I'm doing now. I just hope it all pays off for me. And then my main thing is just, you know, having a, a happy, successful life where you know I can look after my family and stuff like that. And my main aim now is just to, to get to that point. Hopefully, buy somewhere abroad where I can just go away, go away every now. And then. That, that's I've got my own next. My own five-year plan in my own head. And um, yeah, to sit around talking about what could have been is definitely not part of that plan. It's, you know, be successful here, have a nice house here, have a nice family, and then, you know, have somewhere abroad where I can just nip back and forth whenever I please. I tell you the reason that that I'm asking that and why I've asked sort of questions a bit like that all the way along. It's because and, and Jeff will will sort of be able to give his perspective on this as well. I think when you when you talk about, you know, a kid writing you a poem because you're an inspiration to him. And when you are naturally a positive person and when these things have happened to you and when you've had stuff that's important to you taken away from you, when you have that reputation of being a positive, inspirational person, yeah. I can imagine that that's a pressure as well that sometimes you don't feel yeah. ever that you you can be down that there's space for you to go do you know what actually it's it was horrible and it's just it's it's just a lot to deal with right now yeah no I do I totally understand what you're saying and um, I, I guess that that could be a little bit of a worry for like some mum and dad they were obviously not said nothing to me but for all I know they could be sitting there thinking I wonder if he's gonna hit a low point I can sit here now and say I don't think I will like I don't think I'm anywhere near that that part you know so yeah, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to, to say. Um, but I've got people around me, Kelly, who, who, who wouldn't allow that to happen. Like as I say to you, I can go down, I can speak to my girlfriend about like you know, I'll feel this, I feel that, and she's there supporting me. And then again, well, brush it off, and, I, and I'm gone again. So yeah, I hope I don't go to that that stage. But where I'm sitting right now, I don't think. I'd be highly unlikely to do. You've actually hit the nail on the head. It is. It's the mum part of me. Yeah, I know. I'm yeah, sitting exactly. here going, I, know, I hope you're all right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just part of what you need that. You need that. Obviously, if you had 
my dad is more type there to go, oh, come on, get on with it. Like, you know, where my mum is more like yourself, like you say. So you do need that mixture. You don't, you can't have both saying get on with it because then you could feel lonely and that. But then you don't need both muddly cuddling you too much because then you become you could become in that thing so I think I've got a nice mixture of both and it's having those those new targets as well isn't it Jeff that you you know about this about sort of making your life or making your ambitions different changing your your ambitions so that you still get that that satisfaction from them yeah and I, I think just listening to you Sean I, I think the way you're attacking life now it sounds like you're you're on the football pitch you know you're determined to to beat whatever's in front of you, whatever challenge you need to go into. Like you said, you at 14, you may have chickened out of it, but uh, yeah. at the age of 15, you found that you could crunch somebody. And now it sounds like you're attacking life the same way with the same vigour. Yeah, as I say, I think, yeah, part of me, the way I'm being now is kind of, you can't relate to it in the football teams and certain aspects yet. Like, wouldn't have no one saying you can't do that. Like, well, why can't I? You know, so right. Things like that, yeah. I think it, it has stood me massively in good stead having that kind of mindset. Like, as, as, as you'll know yourself, Jeff, I used to go on the pitch and think, right, I'm the best player on this pitch today and, you know, I'm going to prove it and stuff like that. And that's kind of the mentality that kind of, you, you know, you've got to have if you want to be successful. So there's no difference in life. Is that you can't go into like a business meeting, say, for example, and think, oh, I don't really know what I'm talking about here. I might not. You've got to go in with the, you know, the confidence and a little bit of arrogance and like, I, I belong in this meeting room and I, I'm, no, just, it's, it's just, I try and say, I try and put it in a similar kind of format. I'm just listening to you. I'm just, I can't stop smiling because uh, you, you, it's great listening to somebody being so positive, but there's so many people out there that aren't do you ever think about going out on the circuit doing talks, telling your story and inspiring people? Um, do you know what? I probably would. Like, I don't know. I've done a podcast not so long ago with uh, the Leggett podcast with Andy Grant. I don't know if you know who he is. He was, you know, he's a scout lad, but he went to, he, he got his leg blew off and then he ended up running. He holds like the world record and like a marathon or whatever it is. So he's set a podcast up, but that's what he does now. He's a motivational speaker and he kind of, said, well, come and watch me and see what you think. And I don't know why, but I couldn't go and then it kind of fell by the wayside. But in my head, I think to myself, like I was mentioning earlier, like, who would want to listen to me? You know, like, that's my mindset. Of, but why would someone want to sit there and listen to what I've been through? Like, I just don't see it. But then, as I said, when this young kid, he could write about anyone in the world, he wrote about me. So maybe I need to change my mindset and be a bit more, like, you know, modest in that kind of what you have done. People are interested and stuff. But unless someone comes to me and said, I want you to speak in front of these. I wouldn't say no. I'd million percent say yeah, but like not unlike that's come about. And I feel like, as I say, I'm probably pretty boring to go and speak to someone. So I wouldn't, you know, go and do it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But if someone comes to me, I, I million percent would do it. Cause you know, I don't, I'm not like, I'm pretty confident in speaking and stuff. It doesn't really, you know, I'm not really shy in that. So it's just, I wouldn't <laughs> do it. If it, if it, if it, if it comes to your eyes and that, I'd, I'd, I'd take it definitely. Yeah. You're a natural. Well, we've really been interested listening to you. It's been it's been just fascinating. And Sean, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Invite me on. It's great to speak to you both. Amazing story, oh, thank Sean. You, Sean. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Thank you for listening to The Moment, brought to you by The Athletic. If you were affected by anything you heard in today's episode and would like to speak to someone in confidence you can call the Samaritans for free anytime, day or night on 116 123.